You know, it's the most basic question that we could ask ourselves. What is God like? And how I many know we don't have to do a, a, a survey or an opinion or a man on the street? The Bible tells us what God's like. And it's kind of foundational for our whole spiritual life. It's foundational for every decision we make, for the way we treat people, uh, what our future will be. And we've been exploring the last few weeks a series called God Is. And each week we've been looking at an attribute or something about the nature of God to try to help us understand how, it, how He relates to our life. Well, this morning I want you to look at Exodus chapter 34. Uh, last week, you remember, if, if you were here, we talked about what I think is kind of the, uh, the central message uh, last week and this week in this whole series, what God is like. Now, the Bible clearly teaches us that the dominant nature of God is to be a loving God. God's dominant nature is to be loving, to be merciful, to be kind, to be good. And all last week, that's what we talked about in the message. You can pick it up on our app or on the computer. But it's like a coin. How many know if you look at a coin, uh, uh, the reason that coins are used in sporting events to, to see who kicks off or who receives is because it has two sides, a heads and a tails. If it's not, it's illegitimate. Well, God not only is loving, but today I'm going to show you that God is just. Now, we're going to talk this morning about the justice of God and what that means. And if you're on either extreme with this understanding, you'll be in a ditch. If you're on just the God is just side, you'll become very legalistic about your relationship with God. Uh, you'll live in constant condemnation because you're never good enough. You'll live in an unhealthy uh, uh, scaredness or fear of God. Uh, there's a healthy fear, but there's an unhealthy fear. Now, if you only look at God as the loving God, you'll cheapen grace. You'll, uh, uh, you'll imagine things like everybody goes to heaven. There is no hell. Uh, it doesn't matter what you do. God still loves you. And you won't understand God's justice when it's applied to our lives. So this is what we're going to explore today, the side of God is just. Exodus 34 was where we, where we began last week. It's actually, we looked at Psalm 103 when David told the same story. But Exodus 34, it's one of the most spectacular revelations of God to mankind. When Moses was leading the children of Israel, God had delivered them, million and a half, two million people from Egypt. That was a good thing. God took them towards the promised land. God supernaturally cared for them. He provided food for them. He provides food for us. Come on, He protected them. He protects us. God was just good to them. So now when it comes time for God to teach the people His ways, Moses goes on top of Mount Sinai with two uh, stone tablets, and literally God writes the finger of God that what we know is the Ten Commandments, the foundation of civilization. Well, when Moses is up on the mountain, the people basically go crazy. <laughs> what they do is they decide to make a golden calf, and they worship an idol, and they say, this golden calf is our God. And when Moses comes down the mountain, I mean, it's terrible because not only he rebukes them, but a plague breaks out. See, God's justice comes in the midst of their sin. So the loving God becomes a just God. And after there's been a punishment for sin, then God says, Moses, come back on the mountain, and I want you to get a second set of the commandments, and I want to tell you what I'm like. So think about this. After his goodness, after his judgment, here's what he says he's like. He said, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, say it with me, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, that's huge. After the discipline for their sin, God said, I'm a loving God. 
God says, I'm more apt to forgive you, to give you a second chance. I'm more apt to help you than I am to hurt you. Uh, I'm not the God with the floss water that just wants to whack you when you mess up. But I long to show mercy to you. But he doesn't stop there. He, he, He elaborates further. I keep steadfast love for thousands. I forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, we can say thank God for that. But it doesn't just stop. Now the coin is flipped over. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children? So now we go from the merciful, loving God to a God that says, look, when you sin, there's going to be a consequence in your life, and it's even going to follow your family. Your kids are going to be affected by it. I mean, you know, if you do drugs, if drugs are in your home, alcoholism in your home, it's likely the kids are going to pick that up. If you abuse your spouse and there's violence in your home, it's likely the kids are going to pick these things up. You know, uh, uh, it's going to follow us. Sin will follow us. So here's my question this morning that I want you to think about. Why would a loving God, why would a loving God punish the Israelite people when they sinned? Why would a loving God send people to hell? I want you to hear this. I'll tell you why. Because sin offends God's holiness, and justice is the result of our sin. God is a holy God, and the sin of mankind offends His holiness. And because God is holy, God will be just. And the way we should respond to God, because there will be ultimate justice in life, is to walk in a healthy fear or respect of the Lord. And this is what I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm going to talk about these three themes. I'm going to talk about God, the holy God, the just God, and what the fear of the Lord means. You don't hear that preached in pulpits often today. Uh, And today, everything is just, you know, everything is sweet and nice and God is good. But I'll tell you, friend, God is a just God. And we'll understand justice, both in human terms, but especially in godly terms. So this morning, uh, the title of the message is, God is holy and just. And I think it's going to be a blessing in your life. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. Revelation is a book written by John the Revelator. John was Jesus, one of his best friends on earth. And John had a vision. And this is what John saw of God, a picture of God in heaven. Revelation 4, verse 2. Behold, a throne stood in heaven. And there was one seated on the throne. The throne representing kingship. It it represented ultimate authority. This was God himself. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the stone was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Now, I want you to imagine the the best jewelry store that you've ever gone to, and the sparkling uh, emeralds and diamonds and, 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 and amethyst and all the beautiful stones that was there. This is a picture of God in His glory and His magnificence. Well, he goes further. From the throne of God came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And the four living creatures, interesting, these four creatures around the throne of God, they never cease to say these words, and I want you to say this with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God is eternal. He is is involved in the past, the present, and the future. But the three words that describe God from these angelic beings' lips, this is happening right now. This is not a future event in heaven. Right now, God is seated on His throne. Right now, these angelic beings are saying these three words, Holy, Holy, Holy. What does that mean? We're going to explore that this morning. When the Bible says God is holy, it means that He's perfect. 
It means that God is pure. That He is completely free from sin. That God is totally righteous. Think about these words again. He's perfect. He's pure. He's completely free from sin. And He's, he's totally righteous. Now, the problem arises, though, is when God encounters people like you and I. Because, I mean, no, we're not perfect. We're not totally righteous. We have sin in our life. Come on, don't be too religious on me this morning. Every one of us shares a common uh, propensity to sin. Some may give into it more than others. Some may be working against it. But how many know it's there even in the child? As soon as your little beautiful baby, I watch Wanda carry her little baby around the room. As soon as that little baby is old enough to say, Mama and Dada, what else does she say? Mine. No, mine. Ah! That's her little sinful nature that will either be tamed <laughs> or it will create some real problems down the road. We've all got this, and this is where the problem lies. A holy God cannot tolerate sin. I want you to imagine if you're going to, a, to a, a, a banquet and you're the guest of honor and you've gone and you've rented your tuxedo or your brand new, just very light colored, a peach dress and you've had some chocolate milk just beforehand. You know, your kid's drinking it, so you take a swig, but unfortunately, it goes all down the front of your shirt. You wouldn't go to the banquet like that, would you? You just wouldn't even think about it. You would change clothes. Imagine if uh, uh, this week in Fort Worth there was an E. coli breakout, some fresh vegetables. I imagine if you eat that E. coli, the bacteria get in your intestines and it makes you really, really, really sick. You go to the hospital, you could even die. Imagine if you're in the hospital a few days there and you are hurting bad and it's because of the strawberries that you ate that had the E. coli that you couldn't see. Well, when you get out of the hospital, the last thing you want to do is eat some more of those strawberries. It's like you want to get as far away from them as you can. That spot will not be on you when you go to make your appearance at the banquet. That's exactly how God and sin relate. They're just like, they cannot be together. And this is the problem. But here's what I want you to see as we go into this message today. God cannot tolerate sin. Sin is what separates people from God. Uh, sin is what sent Jesus to the cross. Sin is what causes people to experience his God's discipline or his wrath. Sin is why people ultimately go to hell. Uh, Isaiah 59, verse 2, Isaiah tells us this. It says, your iniquities have made a what? A, a separation. Your sins have made a separation between you and God. Your sins have hidden His face from you. Now, that's strong language. Where our sins that you commit, that I commit, not only actions that I do, but how many know Jesus brought it down to our thought life? Jesus said, if there's unjustified anger in your heart, it's just like murder. If there's lust in your heart, it's just like adultery. So, come on, everybody's guilty that I've ever met in my life. But Isaiah says, the sin separates you. Sins have hidden his face. Uh, sin offends a, a, a holy God uh, like, a, like a skunk smell offends us. Uh, how many have been riding down the road and you see this just little furry thing and you try to avoid it, but maybe a second, two seconds after that, and you're going 70 miles an hour, 75 in Texas, praise the Lord. <clears throat> but you're zipping down the road, you're zipping down the road, and you go, ah! Have you ever gone back and say, let's pick up that little varmint and put it in the car? Why is that? Because it's an offensive smell. Now, unless you're crazy like Turtle Man, you're leaving it alone. Well, that's exactly... What, 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 how God feels, how, what sin does. Now, the problem is our culture has forgotten that God is holy. Our culture has lost the definition of sin. We live in a world today where the things that God calls wrong, we call right. Right? 
We live in a world today on our television today, and this really amazes me. I like to watch TV, kind of a, an, an, an escape. I like movies and action guys and all that kind of stuff. But, but what amazes me is why does, why does the media have to see how many times they can say the F word? Why is that? Why does the FCC, the Federal Communications, why do they constantly give in and give in and it's okay and that's okay and more sex is okay and more this is okay? Why, why, why is that? I find that movies that I watched 10 years ago, I like older movies and movies that I watched and, you know, it was a, you know, kind of a guy's kind of film. Well, now when those same movies come on television, I didn't realize the actors said those words because they'd cut them out before, but they don't cut them out any longer. So if you're just in our culture today and you don't have an understanding of the Bible, you have no clue what's right and what's wrong. But the Bible is very clear that God has set boundaries in our life. God is a loving God, but how many know a loving parent will set boundaries so that child doesn't have to experience justice? Because though the parent may love them, if that child gets away with stealing and lying and other things, one day they're going to end up with justice in the back of a patrol car. So justice, listen, love gives way to justice, but justice is, is basically there to say, you know what, it's discipline to get you back on the other side of God's loving side. Now, God is a holy God, but listen to this. Because God is holy, He is just. Because He's holy, because He cannot tolerate sin, He must be just when in your life, my life, people's lives, when we sin against a holy God, there'll be justice. Now, Romans chapter 1 I'm not going to read all this, but this is a very profound chapter. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, it tells us what incurs the wrath of God. And it uses a word, unrighteousness. So unrighteousness, sin, those things that are against God, will cause God's justice. And Romans 1 starts out talking broadly about these, this, this wickedness, unrighteousness. He talks about idolatry and other things. But listen to me. Then Romans chapter 1 Gives what, gives what is probably the most pointed uh, description of, of, of what happens to homosexuality in all of the Bible. It's missing in our culture today. You won't hear this. Our culture today would say, don't say that. That's wrong. And I want to encourage you, if you're trying to figure out what you believe about same-sex marriage, about what you think is proper in terms of sexuality, go to Romans chapter 1 and read through it if you want to know what the Bible has to say. Let me be very clear, though. Sexual sins in the eyes of God. Listen, for the heterosexual to practice adultery, which is a married person having an affair, is just as wrong as an unmarried person having a sexual relation with someone else as is a homosexual having a relationship with somebody else, a sexual relationship. I mean, no sin is sin. There's not worse sins and better sins. Everybody say we're all guilty. Uh, pornography. Jesus brought it to this level. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, committed adultery already. So this is pervasive, so I don't single out a group, but I simply say to tell you the Bible says wrath comes for unrighteousness. And then listen to this word. Now it broadens the description. Verse 28, they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, which simply means the Bible, I don't care for it. The Bible, I don't believe it. Commandments, not for me. They thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, and he abandoned them to their foolish thinking. Which God said, okay, you want to live on this side? You keep going, but there's going to be consequences over there. Uh, he let them do things that should never be done. Today they'll win an Academy Award for doing things on the silver screen that should never be done. 
Their lives, verse 29, became full of every kind of wickedness. I'm telling you, friends, it's all around us. It's everywhere on YouTube. It's in all the music. Not all of it, but there's in a great deal of the music that we listen to. Music that refers to women as the B word or the W word. Music or, 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 or novels, or romance novels. These are things that will one day, the mercy of God will switch. The coin will flip. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed. Oh, Michael Douglas' movie, you remember Wall Street? Greed is good. Greed is not good. Hatred, envy, murder. What does God think about the almost one million children that lose their lives every year through abortion? I'm so glad Texas followed Arkansas's lead and we passed a law this past week that it would be illegal to have an abortion after 20, 20 weeks. Now, the court system will take over. The will of the people will, you will see what happens there. But why 20 weeks? Because at 20 weeks, uh, scientifically, a child begins to feel pain. Many believe it happens much earlier than that. But, but, but pain is felt by the child in the womb. Here's another thing that was in the Texas bill, that abortion centers would have to have the same medical standards as a surgery center. Amen. This major surgery when you have many of the abortions that are there. You remember Hermit Gosnell uh, not too long ago? You remember he was in the news and all the, the blood? I mean, never, ever, ever checked by his state so that these sinners would have to have the same level of medical care. What's wrong with that? The doctor having to be it, it privileges to admit to the girl or the woman into a, a hospital in case it went wrong. I mean, those are kind of logical things. But I understand one of the protesters in Austin this week said this, I wish the Virgin Mary or Mary would have aborted the baby Jesus. So you know, where, does this, where does it come from? And this is not an us against them. I'm just telling you this, when sin works its way through a culture, it works its way through our education system, it works its way through our media, it works its way through our political processes, much of what we see around us, this is what we end up with. Now stay with me. Uh, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. No Christian would ever gossip on Facebook. Thank God for that. Uh, 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 only Twitter, okay? They're, they're, they're backstabbers. They're haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and disobey their parents. Now listen to this. Here's where we're going. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. And I want you to say this with me. They know Justice is God's righteous decree. That is, for God to say, this behavior is wrong. This behavior is right. They know God's right justice that requires that those who do th such things... Now, why, why would that be in the Bible? Why would a loving God say those that act in wicked ways deserve judgment? It's because God is loving, but He is also just. I'm telling you, whether it's in the preacher or you or someone that never darkens the door of the church, God is a just God. And God's laws and standards are immutable. Justice, by definition, means giving people what their actions deserve. Now, that could be reward or that could be punishment. Are you afraid of a police officer? When you go somewhere and there's a room of police officers, do you... Now, look, I'll take my foot off the gas when I'm driving, okay, when I see a police officer... But when I walk into a room and there's something going on, I see police officers, I'm not afraid because I don't have a warrant out for my arrest. 
I, I, I mean, I don't, I, I'm just, it, it doesn't make me afraid. But, but, but if you know that you violated the law, authority will make you afraid of what? Of justice. This word justice has been big in the vocabulary of Americans this week. This week as the Trayvon Martin trial had unfolded and George Zimmerman was, uh, was found not guilty. Uh, there's rallies going on, protests, uh, riots uh, all over our nation this week. And signs are being held up, justice for Trayvon. Meaning that they believe Zimmerman didn't get what he... So our president has invited America to have a discussion about, about race and about violence in America today. I applaud the discussion, but listen... It's a tragedy what happened in Florida. It's also a tragedy what happened in the same week of this, or the same, uh, it's about a little over 31 days from the time they began jury selection to the verdict in the Trayvon Martin case. In the city of Chicago alone, 61 people were murdered. 61 people were murdered. Of those, five out of six were black. Most of those were young black men. Most of that violence was black on black. And there were seven Seven children under 18 that were killed that same week that missed the media. What you might have missed in the last few years in America that's not in the mainstream media, it's called the knockout game. See, violence and prejudice and injustice is not just white-black, black-black, white-white, Hispanic. It's also black-white. It's all over our society today. The knockout game, you might check WorldNet Daily on this. But little flash mobs form of black, predominantly younger people. They form and they find an unsuspecting white person. And they just go and they just beat them. Is that wrong? Yes. Somebody wrong, Trayvon? Yes. All across this, we have a problem in America. And our problem will not have a political solution. The problem is not the gun in the person's hand. Come on. The problem is what's going on in their heart. And if our nation could return, come on. Where is the clarion call of God? The second great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. That'll never start in Washington because there's no political power in that statement. Come on. There's no money to be given for that cause. Where that comes from is from the people of God and the churches of God. I can't control what happens outside from, uh, from me, but I can control the way that I treat you. If you are different from me in age and gender and color, come on, in economic status, I can love you because you're created in the image of God. Amen. See, but listen, in our quest for human justice, it'll always be imperfect. There'll always be things, but let me tell you this, God will be righteous in His judgment. God will never judge someone unjustly. And we need to understand this because God is holy and He acts justly when He disciplines our sin. But aren't you glad that before He judges and disciplines, He gives us mercy? Amen. Aren't you glad that God is more loving and merciful? Don't forget now, after they worshiped the golden calf, they were disciplined, but then right back, I'm a merciful God. Come on, I'm a loving God. I'm a forgiving God. I want you on this side so we don't have to walk through that side. Adam and Eve experienced God's justice in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, it was a perfect world. God would come to visit Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and, and they'd call turkeys up to them and pet them. I don't know what they would do in that garden, but Genesis 3, 17, Adam and Eve violated God's command. You know the story. And God said to Adam, you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Here's a word that we don't like as Americans, commandment. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Y'all are so quiet this morning. 
talking about that first service crowd. I mean, I mean, but, but, but we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. But God, by His very nature, has that ability and right. You curse it is the ground. That's judgment. Thorns and thistles it shall bring to you. This is justice. By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground. But look at verse 21. Now we go back to mercy. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and he clothed them. But he still sent them out of the garden of Eden. So what's going on here? They, they walked with a loving God. They looked at God's commandment and they said, I don't care, I'm going to go God's way. And God says, justice is your portion. So their whole life changed. But then God said, I'm going to put animal skins on you, which is going to atone for you. It's not just going to keep you warm, it's going to atone for your sin. Because they didn't get the animal skin from Walmart. That animal skin was from an animal, come on, that lost its life. And it was a, it was a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, listen, without the shedding of blood, there is, is no forgiveness of sin. And there's a life for life because life is in the blood. When Jesus was introduced by John the Baptist, he said, Behold the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So a holy God who loved people saw people who sinned and got his justice. But God quickly said, I want mercy because I want to be a father. I want relationship with you. And you can either embrace that or you can reject that. You see, he was just when he judged their sin, but he showed mercy with the animal or sacrifice. Psalm 51.1, David said this after he'd sinned with Bathsheba. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Here's a God that had blown it that knew better. And how many know most of the things that we do wrong, we know better. I know that's the way with me. My, mine is not a knowledge problem. Mine is something in here that makes me want to do wrong instead of than do right. But David came to God and the first thing he said was mercy. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So if God is a holy God and sin offends a holy God and brings justice, how should we respond to that side of the coin? I'll tell you, the Bible calls it the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't mean being the word scared, but I'm talking about the deepest respect imaginable. Let me read you a passage. Jesus said this, Matthew 10, 28. He's talking to his disciples when persecution is happening. He said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body but cannot touch your soul. Then what's he say? Fear God. Jesus Christ. Fear only God who can destroy both your soul and body. Where? Ultimate judgment because God is just. So we're to fear Him. We're to have respect for Him. Now, let me illustrate this. Uh, let's imagine you and I are going to break into a house. Okay, how many have ever broken into a house? Let me see your hand. There's a policeman standing at the back door. I wouldn't say that. Okay, all right. You and I are going to go break in a house. So we, you know, we scope the neighborhood out. We find a primo dwelling. I mean, we're talking about big, nice, everything's looking good. I'm talking about big HDTV we saw delivered there. I mean, you know, it's just got everything. Swimming pool in the backyard. I mean, you know, everything is right there in that house. Well, the buddy, you happen to know some technology stuff, so you figure out how to get around the burglar control, burglar system, the alarm system. We wait till they're gone on vacation. See, we read their Facebook, and they said they're going on vacation, okay? Yeah, and, and they also post posted on that same little post. They asked uh, so-and-so to feed the dog every, every morning at 8 o'clock. So we know we got the house. 
So we go, and he gets the alarm, and I break the window, and, and uh, 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 we're in that house, and then we're just looking for the stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And we walk down the hall. We got our little flashlights, our little goggles, and we're looking around. And, 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 and finally, we find the room, buddy, where the good stuff is. And we open the closet, and there it is. It's two Avian X turkey decoys, okay? So, so I, mean, I mean, one under each arm. All right, and we look in that closet, and then there's this mojo duck. I mean, his wings just spin, you know. So, so we grab that, and I mean, we just start looking in drawers. And before we know it, we have found, we open this drawer, turkey calls. I'm talking box calls, slate calls, scratch calls. I mean, they're all in there. We're putting them in our pockets. And, 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 and then we look in the next door, duck calls. I'm not talking about cheap Walmart cars. I'm talking about Max Prairie wing calls. I'm talking about good ones. We put them around our neck. But all of a sudden, we hear this sound. It's getting louder. What do we do? Why? Why do we run? I'll tell you why. Because we fear that civil authority is going to come and bring justice because we have committed a crime. Let me say it again. We fear legitimate civil authority, the police, are coming to punish us because we have committed a crime. And it's exactly the same, friend. All earthly authority is simply a foreshadowing of God's ultimate authority. Amen. So how, how uh, will you respond to the police with fear? I mean, no, we should respond to God with the same kind of respect. Come on, for sin. It's called the fear of the Lord. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6, it's, if, if you've turned me off, turn me back on for this. It's a powerful scripture. I know you thought, how could a preacher be so excited about breaking into a house and Stealing turkey decoys. Can't even reply to that. Just glad the sheriff's not here today. Second Corinthians 6, it's talking to believers. And you remember the classic phrase, it said, what does an unbeliever have in common with a believer? So, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? Then he says this, come out from their midst, Christian, be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and... So if you want to be welcomed by God, there are some places you need to stop going to, some things you need to stop doing, and there's some people that are pulling you in a ditch. Now let me be very clear. As a Christian, I am no different than any other sinner. You look on the pages of the newspaper, come on. You and I are in the same boat. The same orange jumpsuit, just a little different circumstances. There's nobody that's any better. And one of the worst things we can do as Christians is come across in a self-righteous way. Come on. How many know the only difference between me and someone that's lost in the world is I have realized my lostness and I've turned to the love of God and I've asked the forgiveness of God and I'm trying to live a holy life. That's the only difference. But here's what he said. He said, don't touch any unclean thing. I welcome you. And I will be a what? A father. So God wants relationship with you, but there's conditions you're going to be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And since we have these promises of, God, of relationship with God, let us do what? Cleanse ourselves. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't say pray about it. It doesn't even say go to the psychologist. And I believe you need to see counselors when you need to. But it says you cleanse yourself, which means you need to stop it. The things that you're doing, come on, the TV shows you're watching, the songs you're listening to, the relationships that you're in that are wrong, you need to stop it. You need to cleanse yourself if you want to stay on this side of the coin because on this side of the coin is pain. 
And God doesn't want pain in your life. He wants this side where there's goodness and blessing. But notice this next phrase he said. Cleanse every, every defilement of body and spirit. This is why our thought life is so important. That's why it's so important what we allow the media, what, what, what comes into us, what feeds us. Then he says this, bringing, say it with me, holiness to completion in the... God is a holy God, and sin offends Him and brings His justice. And the fear of God will keep me from sinning. The respect of God will pull me away from that which has the power to destroy me. Wow. The blessings of a loving Heavenly Father are what's before us if we stay on the right side of His holiness. Give the Lord a good hand today. Now, I'm going to finish with one more scripture, and then we're going to pray. In the last two weeks, I've tried to teach you about the, this coin, which is the nature of God. Last week, we talked about the loving God, the merciful, the kind, the forgiving God. That's His predominant nature. Today, I've talked to you about the justice of God, the holiness of God. And what's in the middle of the two of these is sin and how it's looked at and how it's dealt with. This side says that God's got a fly swatter. Don't mess up if your hair is too long. Come on. Or if you're this is that and your dress is too short, that God's just ready to get you. This side over here, too far, says, oh, nothing matters. The only thing that matters is, is grace and God cares and God smiles. No, no, no. Somewhere in the middle. But here's what I'd say to you. Take one step this way. Because it's not just equal justice, equal love. It's the dominant nature of God is to be loving. And let me share a story in the scriptures why this, I find this to be true. Luke chapter 7, verse 37. It's a story that's told of a woman. The Bible calls her an immoral woman. Could have been you, could have been me, could have been a man just as easily. But a certain immoral woman from that city heard Jesus was eating there. Jesus was at a Pharisee's house. You see, Jesus loved sinners. Jesus went to this Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious guy. He was more caught up in the rules of religion than he was with relationship with God. Well, this immoral woman comes in the house, and everybody's kind of shocked. Imagine if, whether you look back to school and it was the loose person or, or a, a known prostitute comes in your party. Somebody that's there that you know has a pretty tough side. If you saw that old movie, one of my favorite Gene Hackman movies, Hoosiers, many years ago, and remember the town drunk, and remember when people saw him, they were just, you know, they were repulsed that, you know, Gene Hackman would welcome the town drunk. Well, it's kind of like that. Well, she comes in, but she brings with her a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, I don't mean something you bought for 99 cents at Walmart. I mean the finest fragrance that you could find. And she brought that in to Jesus. Verse 38, she did something quite unusual. Now, in their day, like today, you know, we'd lay down in a recliner on a couch. Well, imagine Jesus is in your, your lazy boy, and his feet are just kind of hanging over the edge. Now, sandals, listen, don't keep the cooties off. They didn't have paved streets. You're walking around, and you're liable to step in some, you know, some fresh camel poop. I mean, there's dust. It's dirt. I mean, Jesus didn't get pedicures, okay? So, so Jesus is laying there. She walks in the room, and look what she does. She kneels behind him at his feet, and she just begins to cry. Gets on the ground, and tears, warm tears, fall on her feet. Nobody else in the room is saying a thing. Everybody's going. That's the picture. Her tears fell on his feet, and then she wipes them with her hair. I'd have used a towel. But she, can you imagine how many tears that had to be? She wiped them with her hair. 
And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Why did she do this? I suggest to you that she was a woman that was caught in the middle in sin. And I suggest to you that there wasn't enough fear of God to keep her, make her do right, but it was the love of God that she responded to. Amen. Jesus then, if you would read further in the story, let me summarize it. Jesus, immediately after this, the Pharisees were indignant. And they said, Don't they, doesn't Jesus know if he's a prophet that this is a sinner and, and, and sinners are not supposed to touch religious people? And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you a little story. Imagine two people owed somebody a lot of money. One person owed them 50 silver coins, the other 10 times as much, 500 silver coins. At today's rate, let's say $1,000 and $10,000. And he asked Peter this question, who do you think would, would love that creditor and be more appreciative? The guy that forgave the 1,000 or that forgave the 10,000? And Peter said, oh, it was the guy that forgave the 10,000. Then Jesus looked at this woman and said, you know what, I came in this house and basically he said this, nobody showed me appreciation and love. I'm only the Savior of the world. They didn't give me water to wash my feet with. But from the moment she came in the house, she's not stopped weeping and washing my feet and even using this expensive perfume to show extravagant love. And here's what Jesus said, and I close with this. Jesus said, I tell you, her sins, and they're many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And can I suggest to you, you and I have more in common with that woman than we care to say. That all the sins in our life, the Bible says they're recorded in a book. And all that was necessary for me to receive forgiveness was to look to the Christ of the cross, just like that woman did. And as close as she got to Jesus, love and mercy and forgiveness and steadfast love and goodness, and kindness, and faithfulness, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and kindness, and a promise of blessing for tomorrow. And she just began to weep. Can I tell you, you and I have the same problem with sin. You and I will stand before a holy God. You and I too deserve justice. But come on, you that have received Christ have experienced His mercy. Give Him a big hand this morning. He's worthy of our praise. Praise the Lord. Watch you stand to your feet. We're going to sing a song, and, and don't turn off just yet. Forget the restaurant. I want you to just say this out loud. Say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you speak to me? While I take just a moment in prayer, what, did, what, did, what, did, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying to me about the way that I view a holy God? What are you saying to me about the level of respect and godly fear that I have towards you? What are you saying about the depth of my love? How aware am I what it means that you have forgiven me? Welcome, Holy Spirit, for this moment.